Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we've got a show that's looking again at one of those broad areas of health that impact us often in ways that we don't realize. Today we're speaking about business health and whether you are part of a tribal-owned entity, whether you run your own company, whether you work for someone, whether we think about it or not, the health of the businesses, the organizations that we're associated with, has actually a lot to do with our own health. So having healthy tribal industries, of course, is going to make a big difference as far as the health of tribal members. And to help us in this discussion is someone who's an expert on the topic. His name is Dave Hobson. Dave, it's great to have you with us on the show. My pleasure. Dave, now you have got a pretty distinguished pedigree. For the benefit of our listeners who haven't heard of you or read some of your uh, your work, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm a former Marine. That uh, When I finished that first early track in Iraq, I went to uh, Sam Houston State University and then on to Peter Drucker School of Management at Claremont. And I've worked for some major corporations such as Union Carbide, BHP Billiton, and Devon Energy, as well as startups like Medical Logic and Kim Now, Peter Drucker, that is a huge name in the business community. For those who've heard of Peter Drucker, don't know much about him, can you give us a little background uh, on him? Peter Drucker, he's passed on now, but he was known as the father of modern management theory. And many, many disciples have followed him throughout. So Peter Drucker also had at least one school named for him. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That is correct. It was at the Claremont Graduate Program there in the Claremont Pomona School District. And you actually got your doctorate from that program? Yes, sir, I did. So what is your doctorate in? I have a doctorate in, believe it or not, international relations as well as econometrics. Boy, now that's that's a mouthful. Econometrics. Help us out if uh, that's a new term for some of us. <laughs> econometrics is simply the math behind the economics. Okay. So there's lots of curves and graphs and economics, and the, the math behind that is what my degree's in. Wow. So if anyone had any questions about you being a really smart guy, that should put them to rest right there, huh? I'm not sure of that, but it it is a difficult program. (laughs) No, well, thank you for being humble. Well, let's go ahead, Dave, and talk about a real concern that is really something that's at the heart of of most businesses because a lot of times things are just going along great. I'm thinking of, uh, and I'm not going to mention any tribes, I'm thinking of a particular tribe that I've worked some with, we've worked together over the years, and uh, they had a tribal business that was just doing great, and all of a sudden, it just uh, was like they ran into uh, a brick wall. How can a company be doing so well, and then all of a sudden, something happens that looks like it threatens the whole viability of the corporation? Well, that happens more often than we, we realize, because those are not good stories to put in the news, and we wouldn't want that published anyway. But if we look at business instead of in a linear fashion of comparing ourselves to how we did 
last quarter or last year and instead look at our ups and downs as a cycle, we realize that cycles are inevitable, uh, just like a butterfly can't decide to stay a cocoon, you know, in the cocoon or as a, a caterpillar. It has to continue. With that said, businesses also go through a cycle. And after a while of running like gangbusters and really doing well, what often happens is the back office of the corporation or the company can't keep up anymore. Hmm. So and when they stop being able to keep up, mm-hmm. you end up with the problem of getting cash flow and margins back where they need to be, and you hit a wall. So basically, if I'm if I'm hearing you right, success, if not handled properly, actually can be one of the biggest challenges that businesses face. Absolutely. When we look at the companies today that we're also proud of being American companies, such as Google and Alphabet and Apple. Why are they so – why are they doing different to keep them so upbeat? And the difference is, is they've learned to manage this cycle so that every time they, they're doing really well, they have a scalable back office that can keep up with them. And when the product runs at certain normal cycles and would start to go down in, in revenue and go down in popularity, they have yet another product ready to go back into the startup tornado phase. They're already ready. Hmm. So for innovative companies, I mean, this is huge. You've got to be coming up with new products. I mean, we think of that especially, as you've mentioned, some of these tech industry examples. But what about a company that may say, well, you know, we're providing services or, or goods that are maybe not uh, kind of cutting-edge products? Are, are they still having to reinvent themselves kind of at every turn? Well, I think the really successful companies, regardless of what they do, we have to reinvent ourselves um, purely because we don't want what we have to become a commodity. I've used this same model for house cleaning companies. For house cleaning companies? Tell us about how that works. Well, if you, if you think about a house cleaning company that's doing really well, they're, they're adding new homes and new employees to keep up with the demand. Mm-hmm. But if you add too many new employees and too many new houses too quickly, you lose your culture that got you the business in the first place. Hmm. And so in those instances, you actually want to retard your growth. You turn down some work because you don't have the culture ready to go to the next group. You're still working on the last ones you hired. And you actually have to maintain and manage your growth and not do it so explosively that it blows up your back office or the culture of your people. Of your company. So this is this is really for many companies, I would say, counterintuitive because I think most people who go into business or if a tribe starts a, a business or you know, we're thinking, wow, you know, we want to really get this up and, and running. We want it to be really viable, generate a lot of uh, revenue, provide a lot of jobs for tribal members, maybe in the tribally owned uh, corporate uh, uh, world. But that is not always necessarily the best scenario if things grow too quickly, is what I'm hearing. I, I agree with you. If things grow too quickly, you can outrun your ability to do your service or, or deliver your product, and you'll get replaced by someone who can. So, so what is so? Someone's tuning in right now, Dave, and they're saying, "Okay, I'm hearing this. I've got a, a startup. We're doing really well. I am having trouble keeping up." Is one of the messages you need to be bringing, you know, expanding that workforce? Is that part of the message uh, initially at this point? 
Well, it depends. I hate to say it that way, but it, you have to be careful of expanding your workforce too quickly or the culture of your company that got you to where you are will be lost because there will be too many new people hmm. and too many new ideas. Mm-hmm. And so the, you have to grow in a contained, planned manner. Now, it's okay to say you're going to grow your revenue 2,000% this year. Just have a plan to grow your people and your culture and your processes, your back office, just as fast. Well, let me, let me give you an example here. It's a practical one for me. In addition to hosting a radio show, I also develop educational resources. So I have DVDs. I have a new book out on, on blood pressure, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control, we call it. And, and we're promoting these products. Now, if uh, a relatively small organization, if all of a sudden we just had, you know, thousands of orders pour, you know, pouring in every day, uh, we wouldn't be able to surround that. But at the same time, there's not necessarily a way for me to control that if suddenly the New York Times got excited and ran something on the front page of, uh, of the newspaper about how great our products were. Do you see what I'm saying? It seems like sometimes in certain businesses you may not be able to control the demand. Is, is that really true or am I missing something? Well, I, I think you're right. You can't control demand but what you, in that case. But what you could do is control your back office and your productivity. So if you outsource your billing and uh, payroll and those types of accounting operations and you outsource the production of your DVDs and your books to a scalable outsource provider where if you had a 1,000 orders tomorrow, they wouldn't blink, Mm -hmm. and producing a 1,000 invoices and running a 1,000 credit cards wasn't a problem, then you didn't have to worry about it. My point is, is if you understand the cycle and you plan for growth and demand, at the same way you plan for your sales and business development, you plan your back office and your ability to produce. Tell us some stories, Dave, about companies that have gotten this right or maybe had it wrong and you or others helped them to see the light and turn things around. Happy to. I actually wrote a book about that. Um, the... I guess my favorite example was medical logic. Back in the 90s and early 2000s, we had a company that was producing electronic medical record software mm-hmm. about 20 years too early. And so we were all excited. We Everybody worked stupid long hours for salary. We were going to be the saviors of the American healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And we kept producing and hiring more and more engineers to develop and more and more people to implement kept waiting for that tornado to hit. And what we did was we overbuilt the back office. The tornado never hit. Mm. Um, This was during the Clinton era, and there was never a law to force EMR like there is now. And so the company overspent building its back office and its processes and its ability to deliver, so it wasn't scalable for them to turn down when the demand didn't show up. Mm. Hence, the company went out of business. Okay. So basically... And the reverse of that... Uh-huh. Go ahead. The reverse of that is when uh, a wind company I worked with had grown from two wind turbine farms to 27 in three years. And they did not plan for the back office to keep up. And my group went in and, and revamped their back office and their enterprise processes so that they could keep up. And they had a bit of a downturn for a year or so 
But now they're a highly profitable company that can scale up and down as the industry demands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a lot of this uh, requires outsourcing of services, so you're not bringing in all those employees with the, with the overhead necessarily? Not necessarily. It's, it's more of a, a, a managed service idea where you have the, the brains of the company and the, even the back office. You still have your own group, but you have an outsourced group ready to go if you need them. So basically these concepts that we're talking about are applicable whatever company, whatever organization a person finds themselves in, finds themselves running, correct? Even nonprofits, yes, sir. Well, that's one that's really coming close to home. A lot of the folks I know that tune into American Indian Living have connections with nonprofits. In fact, we often feature individuals on the show that are uh, uh, part of nonprofit organizations. Uh, How does that fit in that environment? Well, easily you you think about the same thing as a service company. They can't control their demand. Mm -hmm. And the more demand they have, the, the more successful they are. But are they able to deliver what they could deliver when they were a $5 million nonprofit, when they're a $50 million nonprofit? doesn't seem to work very well. Mm-hmm. And so that's where they really need some outside help to show them how to be scalable to the demand without losing their brain trust. Well, I think the, the concept is coming through really clearly, and we want to give some more examples, some more practical illustrations as we continue on today's show. But before we do that, you do have a, a new book that's out. We want to hear about that because some folks may not be able to stick with us for the whole hour. Where do they get uh, resources that can walk them through this process? I think the best resource is a website that's DaveHopson.com. And you can find uh, also at Amazon, you can pick up the book. But from DaveHopson.com, you can download uh, a chapter of the book and see if it's interesting. Okay, great. So it's Dave, D-A-V-E, Hopson, H-O-P-S-O-N, correct? Yes, sir. And the name of the book? Surviving the Business Storm Cycle. Okay, Surviving the Business Storm Cycle. I'm Dr. David DeRose. I'm speaking with Dave Hobson, Dr. Dave Hobson. He's sharing with us some amazing insights into how to improve the health of the businesses that you're involved with. You may be in a role as a tribal council member, maybe a tribal industry, maybe something that you're involved with as a startup. Uh, Maybe you're part of a larger organization, and uh, you may not feel you have that much to say, but we're going to find out in our next segment that uh, companies that are thriving are listening to their employees wherever they're at in the uh, the chain there at the uh, organization. So stay tuned. We've got a lot more great material coming up with Dave Hobson. I'm Dr. DeRose. Don't go away. Today's broadcast has been pre recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1 800 775 HOPE. That's 1 800 775 4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. 
Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose and with my guest, Dr. Dave Hobson. Dave has his doctorate in international relations and econometrics from the Peter F. Drucker and uh, Masa, boy, boy, you got me here. Masatoshi Ito Graduate School of Management. Have I gotten that right? Uh, That's very close, yes, sir. Well, thanks for being gracious. I'm glad you stuck with just Peter Drucker. That one I can handle, but it's also got uh, a Japanese uh, eponym with it. And who was uh, Masatoshi Ito? He's a he's a famous uh, business guru from Asia, but he was actually at that school uh, long after I left. I'm I'm fairly old. Oh, okay, so it was just the Peter Drucker school. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, listen, it's great to have you on the show. Great to have you walking us through some of what uh, you've been calling the business storm cycle. Although we mentioned your book, Surviving the Business Storm Cycle, and we've talked about some of this stormy weather, we really haven't defined the cycle per se. So as we're starting this segment, why don't you help us see through your eyes, Dave, what is that storm cycle? Of course. Yeah, I believe that this cycle has four phases and that we go through them over and over again through the life of a company. There is a startup phase that every company has, and I'll show you in a moment or tell you in a moment of why I think that we go through multiple startups, but I think companies go through this phase over and over again. That's what makes them rebuild and reevaluate who and what they are. Okay. And then you go through a tornado phase, and this is where you have hyper growth. Um, by that, I mean more than 10% a quarter, and you have this, huge revenue draw, but you end up seeing yourself with a cash flow problem. And at some point, as you mentioned earlier about hitting a wall, you do hit that wall and you go through an avalanche phase where revenue is falling, sales are falling, cash flow is a problem, margins are now a problem. Mm -hmm. So you have to consolidate. And hopefully that means that you can do it quickly and re-find yourself in a new 
tornado by creating a new startup phase where you have a new market or maybe an acquisition of another service or another product that you're going to sell. Um, and then you go back to the phases again. And those really good companies tend to stay in a tornado and minimize and consolidate. Okay. So basically, if I've got this jotted down correctly, you got the startup phase, then the tornado, then the avalanche, and then the consolidation. Is that right? Yes, sir. That's correct. So tornado, I mean, sometimes when people hear that I lived in uh, the heart of Indian country for many years there in Oklahoma, and when someone talked about a tornado, they wouldn't necessarily think of something desirable. But this tornado phase that you're referring to is a whirlwind of good things happening, at least on one level, where your products, your services are just really ramping up and there's a lot of demand for them, right? That's correct. But the reason I gave it the name tornado is it's also terribly destructive to a company that doesn't know how to manage it. Hmm. Now, that is really counterintuitive because this is what, what every startup seems to be longing for is just this rapid growth. And I, I know we've been talking about it so far on the show, but I, I think for some of us, myself included, we're, we're kind of grappling with this idea that you can actually grow too quickly. Um, that's not normally what people are thinking about when they're starting a company, is it? It's not. And, and I've helped so many companies struggle through the, the effects of a tornado. I decided to write a book about it because I've been doing this for 30 years, and it's amazingly destructive to morale, um, to your back office, to your supply chain. If you if you go through this tornado too quickly and you don't manage it, you end up being late on your bills, your cash flow is a problem, your staff is demoralized and exhausted, and when you hit that wall, they start looking for who to point fingers at, who, who did it wrong. So... Let me see. Let's let's talk to someone who may be in that phase right now. So they're they're listening, and they're saying, "Boy, I mean, this is what we're dealing with. We've we've got uh, you know all kinds of demand, but we just don't have the staff. We got accounts receivable. We've got uh, all kinds of stuff that that we're just trying to juggle here. We're barely keeping our head above water. What do they do at that point? What what you have to do, and this is going to sound counterintuitive again. But what you have to do is you have to start telling your customers with this high demand the truth. You can't deliver tomorrow. It is going to be six weeks. It is mm -hmm. going to be eight weeks before you can get there. And you have to quickly retool your staff and your back office to be able to handle the demand. And most often, you're going to need to get outside help. So, I mean, it's easy to say you got to get outside help, but but where does someone go? I mean, if they're, if they're new to this whole uh, business, they're, uh, you know, starting a company, whether it's uh, – on their own, maybe it's a group of, uh, of people got together to start something up, and they're saying, hey, we haven't done this before. We just left our, uh, our assembly line positions, and you know, we thought we could do this. We've got a good product, but where do we turn for help? Well, and there are, there are several companies out there like mine that help specifically with this problem. Um, if you start looking for, or for some consulting help to do this, uh, mine does it as well as several others. That uh, we that's all we do. That's what we specialize in. It's fun. So basically, when you gave us that website, DaveHopson.com, is that my door if I'm in a position where I need help like this to to reach out to you and your team, or is there a better way to do that? 
That's absolutely one door. Another would be to go to triumphus.com, T-R-I-U-M-P-H-U-S.com. And there are other companies such as Alvarez and Marsal and McKinsey. Those are fine consulting firms. So basically someone's going to get on the phone. They're going to call a business expert like yourself. And what's going to happen? What, what, what is that initial conversation going to sound like? I, initially, we're going to talk about we want to hear what your issues are or what you think your issues are, your symptoms at least. And we want to talk about some hard numbers from your accounting department, hmm. revenue, uh, cash flow, invoice to payment, procure to payment. What are those what are those time lags like? And where are you feeling your pain? Is it pain inside or is it pain for your customer? Because that helps us do the initial assessment to know what to go after the low-hanging fruit to bring relief as quickly as we can. Tell us another success story, a company that got themselves over their heads in that tornado phase, maybe picked up the phone, called you, or called you know another consultancy firm. What, uh, what does that uh, story sound like? So there's a company called BHP Billiton, which is a large commodities firm out of Australia that formed a new division called Base Metals, which was all about mining nickel, silver, aluminum, copper. Mm-hmm. And they could foresee the demand in China going to go crazy a few years ago. And so they put this organization together of five merged companies. I worked there at the time, and we put together ability to manage that tornado so we could ride it till it ended. Hmm. Now, that tornado ended because the market fell through, okay. not because the company failed. Hmm. But we built our processes. We trained our people. We warned them what was coming. So they had faith in us when it did hit. They saw up this. They told us this was coming. And we went through that tornado with little, little damage to the company with a huge revenue stream and good margins all the way through that five-year tornado. Wow. So a big part of the success story was letting people know what was going to happen. I think that's the key to all of it. No matter where you are in the cycle, if you can explain to your people, your staff, which is really the lifeblood of your company, if you can explain to them what's happening and what's going to happen next, it's not near as scary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And is it inevitable? Does every company have to go through these phases, or do some things, I mean, just have a smaller demand, and they're all, all going to kind of, uh, oh, struggle along, maybe making just enough margin to keep the company afloat? Or is that an indication they're doing something wrong? I think if you're struggling to keep afloat, that you're not in the cycle because you've never got out of the startup phase. Hmm. So you're stuck in a phase, and you're unable to grow. For There could be a variable number of reasons, but normally it's because you haven't found that one way to get the market to jump on your product or your service. Now, now you mentioned an interesting example to me as a physician a while ago. You talked about the electronic medical records, the EMR, and shared with us about a company you were involved with. And as you alluded to in telling that story, there weren't the economic, the regulatory pressures in that era to move doctors away from their comfortable paper charts to those electronic records. So it didn't sound like there was anything that your company could really do to change that, or am I missing a chapter in the story? Well, perhaps I wasn't clear or lengthy enough in my storytelling. We were so sure of ourselves uh-huh. that we built for the tornado that never came and ran ourselves out of money rather than accepting we were going to have to wait. Uh, we were forcing the tornado that never occurred. But ultimately, the tornado did occur, right? Yes, 20 years later. 
Yeah, but you guys were gone at that point. That's correct. And if we could have said, okay, EMRs are not ready, let's go back to billing system, and let's wait our time and tell everybody what we're doing. We're going to stay in a startup phase here for another five, six, eight years and just make pay the bills until that tornado hits, and then we'll go crazy. I mean, this is really interesting because I think a lot of times we have uh, people with a lot of foresight that will see an opportunity. And you're right, they may be seeing that opportunity so far out in the future that no one else is really ready to jump on the, the bandwagon, so to speak. It's a real challenge, isn't it? It is a challenge. Um, in fact, Steve Jobs lost his job the first time because he was so far out. Wow. These are great examples. We've got some more great stories coming up from Dave Hobson. We're talking about things that can make a difference for you, for the businesses that you're concerned about, whether it's on a tribal level, wherever it's at. Dave is not going away. Stay tuned for more on today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We will be right back. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose for the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. 
We're speaking about something that medical research shows has a profound effect on health. It is your job environment. It's your work. And uh, so many people today are in situations where they're actually undermining their health because of adverse workplace settings. And we're trying to help do our part on American Indian Living to help you be in a more conducive business setting to optimal physical, mental, emotional, and of course, financial health as well. It's true whether we're talking about a tribally owned entity, whether we're talking about a public uh, uh, entity, a nonprofit, whatever it might be, government agency. And we're really, really talking about where you work and where those that you love work. We're talking with Dave Hobson, Dr. Dave Hobson, is an expert on this topic. He's been helping businesses turn things around for many years. Dave, we've been speaking about your book, Surviving the Business Storm Cycle. You've walked us through that cycle. And I know there's a lot we've still got to talk about. One of the big concepts I know that you push is something called the transformational triangle. Help us understand that. Of course. This is really the the heart of how you manage change and you manage the phases. Um, the key to this, of uh, the triangle, is on each side. You have one side with people, one with process, and one with technology. Okay, so I've got the picture here. I'm looking at a, a triangle, three-sided figure, people, process, and technology. I mean, people's pretty obvious. Those are your employees, right? Correct. Now, what's the process? What does that all involve? Well, if you think about any piece of your business, whether it be in sales, or in the back office or in production, there is a process that you have people go through so that you can have consistent results. However, processes that work for building 100 widgets or servicing 100 clients are not the same process you would do if you had to do 1,000. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so that makes sense. So you, if you're just a, a small startup, for example... Um, I know we had a, a, a guest actually on a recent show talking about a, a little um, vegetarian food service uh, that, that they bought. They, it's a mail order process, and I'm sure they start out very small. We didn't talk about their business cycle on the show, but they may have even started in some you know certified kitchen in their home. I, I'm, I don't work in the food industry, so I don't know how you set something up like that. But as things uh, enlarge, they would have to change how they made those meals, who, who the staff was. Am, am I getting the picture correct? That's correct. So the process actually changed as the demand grew. It has to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, can't, you won't get your margins if you just throw people at it. So it's not just moving 100 people into the kitchen in your home. You've got to get that you know, industrial kitchen or whatever and, uh, and, and ramp things up if you're going to go to the next level. Yes, one of my favorite examples of that is a car wash. Okay. So a guy starts a car wash, and he has you know, three people helping him, and they wash cars out there by hand. Okay. Well, now all of a sudden it's a two-day wait to get your car washed. So he builds a major car wash where he has an assembly line where the cars roll through and get washed, and he just has his people do the detail. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now he can do 100 cars a day, mm-hmm. and he changed his process with some technology. Okay. So the technology is often what you bring into the equation to improve the process. Is that safe to say? Yes, you're enabling your people 
to focus on things that really matter, back to the car wash. Nobody really cares about the tech, how you wash the car. What they really care about is you dry all the, you wax it, you dry all the bubbles off, you clean the inside, you find a little dust mite, you make that attention to detail is what people do best. Technology mm-hmm. can't do that. Mm-hmm. So to get your, your volume up, you use the technology to drive the process so your people have the added touch that makes you different. Now, why do you put all these ingredients into a triangle? What is the, the significance of that? So the triangle has to be equilateral. We're seeing the effects in, in the United States now where people talk about automation taking all the jobs. And it's taking all the low-value-added jobs. There are hundreds of jobs out there that are high-value-added for highly educated people. Mm-hmm. The problem is we didn't bring our people with us. We didn't educate them for the new information systems world of the United States. We can add the technology. We mm-hmm. can change the process. But if we don't bring our people with us, we will fail. That's very interesting. We had an expert on education on the show not all that long ago, and he was really echoing exactly what you're saying, so that we're phasing out many of these jobs that you can just walk into and do if you're you know, conscientious and uh, you know, learn the, the process, so to speak, but... Once we go to that high-tech world, you need some high-tech skills if you're going to be contributing in that workforce optimally. Isn't that the case? It is. And even if you have a small business and you go from doing your your bookkeeping in a ledger and move to an online service like QuickBooks, all of a sudden you have to be somewhat technically astute to get the same job done. Mm-hmm. So so I'm trying to uh, wrap my mind around the equilateral triangle. Equilateral triangle, each side equal in, in length. So you're trying to make a point that we've got to keep these things in proportion. We can't be uh, growing our people and not investing in process or technology or, or vice versa, right? Correct. If you're going to grow and, and, and have a strong company that can withstand any part of the storm cycle, you do need technology as you get older, as you get bigger. You do have to change your processes. But most importantly, you have to change and bring your people with you. That means we can't just talk about investing in our people. We actually have to do it. If you're going to bring new technology and processes in, then you're going to have to train your people on those technology and processes. And, yes, it's going to cost money, but that's how you're going to survive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're so often now think that we can throw technology at a problem and we fix it. And it's just not true. It's just not true. Well, probably one of the biggest arguments I've heard over the years about investing in employees is that people are so transitory. And, I mean, from my vantage point, it seems like it may be actually part of our our business mindset, you know, more globally, at least in our country. In the old days, you know, someone would work for a company for their whole life. That's very unusual today. Is this really part of the challenge that we're facing right now? Well, I, I, I don't think so. Uh, I'm going to quote Jack Welch here when he said, we have to train our people. And the answer from the CFO was, well, what if we train them and they leave? Mm-hmm. And Jack's response was, what if we don't and they stay? Hmm. Great question. The point there is, why don't you get all you can out of that person and make them as successful as you can make them? And if they leave, 
that's quite a compliment to you. More likely, when you invest in your people, they become extremely loyal. I mean, I think it's a great, I think it's a great insight. And I believe it or not, over the years as I've worked in different organizations, I've seen some that had that ethic, you know, that they really did invest in their employees and others that uh, almost looked at that as a liability. You know, we can, hey, we can get someone else who's more skilled. If this person doesn't like it, can't keep up with the new technologies, they'll leave or will downsize whatever, you know, scenario they're going to look at and we'll bring someone else on who can do it. What do you say to someone who has that type of management philosophy? I tell them that people are not a commodity. People are your number one differentiator between you and everybody else selling that same widget or that same service. We all can't be like Apple and create the next iPhone. We win by people. That's how you survive. And so my favorite example of that is Union Carbide. Been around forever and a day. I worked there. I never felt so appreciated or highly trained as I was in that organization. Really? That's amazing. And they were huge loyalty there. There were people that had been there 50 years. Uh-huh. I had no dream of quitting or leaving. Because it was just such a great place to work. It was. It, it truly, I know it was huge, over 100,000 people, but we all felt like we were part of this huge family. Wow, that is an, that's an incredible testimony. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't even know what Union Carbide does today. They're still in the same business. They're owned completely now. They're a wholly owned subsidiary by Dow Chemical, but Dow was smart enough to leave them alone and let them continue. Wow, that is an amazing story. Well, let's come back to this whole, you know, we've we got our focus on, uh, on people as well as process and technology, and we've been highlighting the, the people element. Uh, let's come to that, uh, that point where the tornadoes come, wild success, and then there's this avalanche phase. Remind us again what that phase is involved with. So this is where you hit that wall, as you called it, wall ago, mm-hmm. and you, your, your sales have fallen off. Perhaps your reputation has fallen off because you couldn't deliver or your customer service didn't rape like it should. This is when you retool. So now this is when this triangle comes into play. What processes didn't keep up during that tornado? What technology failed me? What did my people not know? What do I need to teach them to have them ready the next time so the tornado will last longer, Mm -hmm. which is our goal? And so this is why we go through that avalanche phase and into the consolidation phase. So we can start finding where we didn't scale so we're ready for the next one. So I'm, I'm gathering that one of the big casualties in the avalanche phase is often in the area of people. A lot of folks, if they weren't prepared for that, you know, you mentioned that wonderful scenario where the people with that uh, base metal company were, uh, were prepared for what was going to happen. They were able to ride that, uh, that cycle but many times the employees feel maybe uh, taken advantage of, that they were, you know, driven too hard during the tornado phase. When that avalanche comes, a lot of them jump ship. Is that safe to say? It is. In fact, some of them even jump ship during the tornado. It's just too much Mm. because they can't see anything in the end. And so you lose a lot of good people if you don't explain what's happening and how you're going to recover from it. And while we're not going to go through that again, we, let's, one of my favorite partner things is let's make new mistakes. Hmm. And okay. so you look for where your technology failed, your process failed, and where the company failed the people with not educating and training. 
So tell us another story, especially, uh, you know, focusing in on this uh, avalanche phase and some of its significance. So um, we'll go back to base metals. When the, when the commodity market fell and the price of copper and nickel and silver went to almost zero and no demand, often companies then will go through a string of layoffs and um, finger-pointing and firing people that are in charge of sales and business development. Mm-hmm. But what base metals had learned from earliest when it was conformed, um, they figured out that this is the time to retool and so what they did was they went through that assessment phase of what worked, what didn't work, and what do we need to do to be ready for the next one? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because there will be another one. That's mm-hmm. the cycle. Yeah. And so they went through and retooled their processes, threw out technology that didn't work and brought in new technology, and then trained their staff. And today, BHP Billiton is outgrowing both their competitors from a margin standpoint, they're making more per pound than anyone. Wow. Great story. We're going to come back to a final segment with Dave Hobson. Dave is uh, available at DaveHobson.com. That's Dave, H-O-P-S-O-N.com. He's the author of Surviving the Business Storm Cycle. More important lessons from that book and his years of experience in our final segment. So don't go away. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We've got more to come on American Indian Living. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. With me, Dave Hobson. Dr. Dave Hobson has his doctorate in international relations and econometrics from the Peter Drucker Graduate School of Management there at Claremont Graduate School. He has been working in this field for many years, sharing with us wisdom about how you and the company that you're involved with can ride the business storm cycle. His book is called Surviving the Business Storm Cycle. And if you're just joining us, you could get that book, actually uh, read a free chapter of it at Dave Hopson, H-O-P-S-O-N, DaveHopson.com. Dave, it's been great to have you on the show, and I know that there's a lot more important stuff to talk about. I think many of us have been fascinated by the cycle you've been talking about, and I'm kind of hung up on, oh, maybe you'd call it uh, those bridges, you know, going from one phase to another, the transitions between, say, the tornado phase and the avalanche phase, the avalanche and the consolidation phase. Can you kind of help us? maybe see what we should be looking for if we're in a corporation. Yeah, that's a great point, David. I, uh, those are key points, and you can find them by looking at your accounting system. What you're looking for is a 10% or greater change in one direction or the other of employment numbers, staff numbers, mm-hmm. revenue, margin, and cash flow. Hmm. Those four numbers, typically go in opposite directions when you're in a transition point. So if staff goes up, margins are going down, that's mm-hmm. in your, de- your deceleration or your avalanche transition point. Or in the tornado, from the startup to the tornado, you're looking at the other way. Your revenue's up, your cash flow is down. And so those are key indicators when that number is bigger than 10%. Okay, now 10% does not sound like a lot to me. Am I missing something? When both of them are 10%. Okay. If you're doing well and everything's running just fine, you'll find that while your employment may be going up 10%, your margin is not falling 10%. Productivity is doing fine. I got it. Adding more bodies, you're getting more work. It's when they go in opposite directions. So now it's 20% change between the two. I got it. So basically, when you're seeing those indicators, you're realizing that you're uh, headed for a transition unless perhaps you manage things differently. Is that true? No, it's a cycle. You're going to go through that transition. The question is, how well do you survive the transition in the coming cycle? So it's not like you can necessarily stave off that transition for a while. I mean, you can't prolong the tornado phase by proper management. Um, if you've already hit 10% in opposite directions, it's not very likely. Okay. Okay. So then what are you doing? I mean, do do you have to get on the phone and and call a consultant or do you just pick up your book and uh, read it real quick, surviving the business storm cycle? (laughs) Oh, well, it might be that easy. Depends on how big your company is and how difficult of a problem you have. You may be able to read the book and figure your way through. Um, or you, you may be needing some outside help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but there are processes to overcome a transition point that I, I'd like to share. So help us there. So 
if you find yourself, hopefully you're watching your books closely and you see yourself approaching a transition point, you're not there yet, you should do an assessment of your people and your processes, find your gaps, find where things aren't working or where someone doesn't really understand what they're doing or why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. So often we teach our people what to do, but not why it's necessary. Okay. So find that, fix those gaps, and then look at your technology that you have supporting your people and your processes and make sure it's doing everything it can to reduce the mundane, goofy work that has to be done so your people can focus on value-added work and fix that. And if you do that, the transition won't be as painful. Because from this, you can do a strategy development of where you need to go, what you're missing, educate your team on what you're missing so everybody knows there's going to be pain points until we fix this. And we may actually hit a transition point in the middle of fixing it. But if everybody already knows that, first of all, you look really smart. But secondly, it's not near as painful. Mm-hmm. They all know, okay, this is a short-term pain. We're going to get over this. We have a process in place, a project ready to go to fix it. Then you can rationalize your processes and your people and get through that phase and move on. Mm-hmm. And I keep talking about technology because it's pervasive. So let, let's talk a little bit about how this whole interface works. I, I mean, I think, we're, I think we're getting the big picture, and yet whenever we start talking concepts, I'm saying, you know, I, I think – it would help us just to illustrate that again. Is there is there some example where a company foresaw? I mean, you've shared a number of examples like this already, but I'm thinking especially of these transition times that are so critical. Do you have any other illustrations for us that could just make this even more practical? Certainly. I love stories. Devon Energy bought Ocean Energy a while back, which created a transition point. Okay. They double in size. So the processes that they used before didn't necessarily work. Mm-hmm. And they had two of everything in the technology world. So we, what we did was we filled a conference room full of people for about six months from all walks of the department uh-huh. and put big butcher paper on the wall, big brown butcher paper. Okay. And we got a bunch of sticky notes. Uh-huh. And we went through each process with people writing down what they did. And that's steps to that process. And we look around the room, we can watch the whole process from secure to pay, from sell to invoice, and we can find the hole hmm. or the duplication mm-hmm. or the work that wasn't even necessary anymore. And that took six that's months. That's how we did our people and process assessment. Six-month process. It's a huge company. But these people weren't sitting in that room for six months doing just that, were they? Oh, no, 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 because we have a day job to keep, right? Right, right. So you're right. I wasn't very clear about that. No, so it took, it takes a while because you're going to start talking about a process and the roles in that process, and they're going to have to go back and investigate that. They're not sure how that works. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So you meet once a week for four hours, and you, you keep working on these butcher paper things until you get them right. And then once you understand how you're doing it today, it's easy to see because it's on the wall in front of you how we should be doing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So one of the interesting... And normally companies hire outside help to facilitate this. Okay. Because not only do they know how to facilitate the meeting, they have a lot of best practices they can bring with them where they can show you things that are not necessary. Uh-huh. One of the things I find so fascinating, Dave, about the whole process is it's really empowering 
your people to have input into the whole dialogue. I mean, it's not just someone in, in management sitting down with a consultant and, you know, looking at the big picture. You can't really see the big picture unless you're seeing it through the eyes of your employees, right? You can't. You don't even know what they're really doing. Mm-hmm. You have to You have to know, and I've said it before and I'll repeat myself, the power of your company is your staff. Anybody can sell a widget. Anybody can provide a service. It's your people that make the difference. It's the interaction with the customer. It's coming up with a better idea because they do it every day. You have to. That's why God gave us two ears and one mouth. Okay. So we can listen twice as much as we talk. Fair enough. Well, I'm interested in your vantage point. You've been doing this for a long time. Are companies getting it? Uh, by and large, are they realizing that they need to value their employees more and invest in them? Or is it like a cycle itself where you run through eras where it's all focused on technology, people aren't investing in their employees, and then the pendulum swings? I mean, have you seen any trends like that? And if so, where are we today? I think we've learned enough over the last 30 years that processes and technology do not solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at the companies out there that are doing really well and can weather storms, have realized that they have to invest in their people. Mm-hmm. And you can see that across I don't, across the world. A Ford manufacturing, they focus on their people. Um, if you look at GE, and you can look at even some of the healthcare systems, like uh, Barnes-Jewish Noble out of, out of uh, St. Louis, has such a people focus now that when they figured out that technology was not going to all take their job, that it has been an amazing transformation for that healthcare system. Wow. Dave, you bring so much to the table, and uh, you're calling for a greater investment in, in people at the same time, keeping focused on some of those other critical ingredients, the process, the technology. Our time is just about out. One more time, how does someone get uh, resources, get in touch with you? Uh, there's multiple ways. You can reach me on the website at davehopson.com or at triumphus.com, T-R-I-U-M-P-H-U-S, which is our company. Or you can call me directly, 832-814-7218. Okay, wow, thank you. So that phone number, if you're a, a phone uh, person, 832-814-7218. DaveHopson.com. And uh, his book, Surviving the Business Storm Cycle. Dave, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your insights uh, with all of us on American Indian Living. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it. Well, we got to run. For all of us on the team here with American Indian Living, hopefully today's show, as always, has helped you to enjoy the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.